Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Well, there is a particular experience that's so very common across human experience that when you take a moment to consider the matter, it's actually rather staggering. You kind of have to admit how staggering this common experience is. Every parent of young children knows this experience. Every grandparent knows this. Most aunts and most uncles know this, and all of us should know it from our own experiences. And don't worry, if you don't know it yet, you will see it. This is a common human experience, and you can't get away from it. So let me give you the scenario. A parent sees a toddler reaching for something that they should not touch or about to do something that they should not do. And let's take a common one. The child's on the high chair and it's time to eat. But the child doesn't want to be in the high chair. So the child, what does that child do? The child begins to launch everything off of the tray of the high chair onto the floor. This is their this is their expression. This is, this is their communication. This is coming out of their hearts and through their hands and then their facial expression and their, and, their, and their cries. And now, they're about to throw that sippy cup on the floor for the 25th time. And with the 25th time of picking it up, the parent has had enough and says, no, do not, do not throw that sippy cup on the floor. Do not. And what does the child do? <laughs> right? Isn't that it? Looking at sometimes a little smile, a little smirk. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't you do it. And they drop it. And it goes on the floor. What's happening here? It's this. It's the authority test. The child is saying, let's see who is actually functionally in charge here. Who has the power in this moment? Do I have the power to direct my parent? Can I manipulate them into what I want? Or does my parent have the power, the authority to direct and shape my behavior and my thinking? Let's see. What happens? It's the authority test. Authority is the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. And it's fallen these days. That may be an overstatement because it's always this way. It's fallen on hard times. Authority has gotten a bad rap. It seems like every day we are treated to sensational stories of those who were abused by authority and who overcame authority by speaking up and speaking out. Now, let me be clear. I want to be really clear. Some of these people that have spoken up and spoken out are truly heroes. Please don't think I'm saying other than that. It can be hard for me to tell because I'm at such a distance and all I have is news reports. But you gather evidence, you get a sense of it, you get an idea, but nonetheless it's hard to, to make a clear-cut decision as to which ones are heroes and which ones are actually protecting themselves and blame-shifting. But it, 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 this is true, it happens, and, and some of these folks are really heroes for speaking out. And it should be noted that this is one of the benefits of our governmental and societal structure. Whistleblowers do not get very far in tyrannical dictatorships. They just don't. They get dead. They don't get far. There just tends to be more accountability overall in a democratic republic where the notion of free speech is upheld by the rule of law. And it and doesn't happen all the time here either, right? Justice is not perfect, but it tends to happen more, where people who are abused get to speak up and speak out. So people who have been abused by authority and speak out have, in fact, done something courageous. But at the same time, some seem to think that the answer to abuse is the cessation of authority the stripping of authority. They seem to think, at least functionally, that authority itself is the problem or that at the core of it 
what it's made of is evil. That authority in and of itself is wrong. And for decades now, some contemporary philosophies have espoused the the demolition of authority in every form. The idea of speak truth to power, while it has its place, comes from some really humanistic thinking. So much so has philosophy affected this in our culture. So much is it built into our world, into the air that we breathe. We may be more influenced by that atmosphere than we even realize. We don't typically think of that. What is true? There's a massive anti-authoritarian streak in humanity, and it's gained ground in our culture and continues to gain steam. But for the Christian, right? We're we're Christians. We have Christ Jesus. For the Christian, we never take our cues on truth and principle from the culture. Right, dear friends? Right? We don't get our convictions from what the world values. We don't start with the news reports and then figure out what's right and wrong from there, do we? No, we don't do that. We get our convictions from the Scriptures. We go to God's Word. And that's why we're doing this series on authority, and we're calling it In Defense of Authority. And today we're going to begin with the situation on the ground. In other words, we know, we know that authority is broken. And so we're going to talk about the fall of authority this morning. We're going to touch on over these next few weeks different aspects and areas of authority, and we're excited to do that. But today we talk about the fall of authority. You see, authority is sourced in God. He is the ultimate authority. He gives it, and He orders human life with authority. It's a part of the way He structured all things. But like everything in our world, authority has been broken, ruined, and frustrated. Nevertheless, just like God, just like we still retain the image of God, God still uses authority. He's working in it and through it, and there's no getting around it. There always will be authority. Take anarchists, for instance. Who organizes anarchists? Kind of an oxymoron, right? Who speaks for them? Who communicates? Even anarchy requires authority, and the uh, big claims for anarchy fall apart very quickly in this world. So that's why I've chosen this theme for us today. We want to get down to our situation and our wrestling with authority, and I hope to go a little broader than maybe you're thinking right now, but listen to this. Here's our theme. Each sin is a rejection of God's authority but humbly receiving grace positions us for worship. So I want to I push that down to us. Notice here that I'm saying that each sin, this is you, this is me. You may be thinking, I don't have a problem with authority. I'm, I'm great with authority. No, this is you, this is me. Each sin at its core is a rejection of the authority of God. Have you sinned recently? That was a problem that you had with God's authority in your life. And it's not a side issue in our lives. Our interactions with authority are constant. They're even moment by moment. God's authority and those that He's put in authority in our lives and those that we have authority over. Moment by moment, we're interacting with authority. It's constant, our interactions, and authority invades our lives, and we are making decisions continually as to how to interact with what God says and those God has put into those various relationships to us. So simply put, authority and our struggle with it is one of the biggest issues in your life. One of the biggest issues in my life, one of the biggest issues in your life. Remember the authority test, the one with the baby. That's all of us every day. It's not just a test for the baby or the one tempted to challenge authority. It's also a test for the one in authority after all. How are those parents going to respond 
Are they going to be angry, furious, fit of rage? Will they say anything at all? Will they just give the silent treatment? Will they simply resent that their parents? Or will they respond lovingly and firmly with a proper response to train but also reassure of love? You see, the one under authority is tempted to throw off the rights of the one in authority, and the one in authority is tempted to resent the authority that they have and those they have authority over. It's a big problem, and it's constant for us. So let's jump into it. First, let's acknowledge that humanity rejected God's authority at the very beginning. Humanity rejected God's authority at the very beginning beginning. And it's probably needless to say the struggle with authority is not new. It's not new in our lives, and it's not new in human history. Unfortunately, it is built into us. I hope to demonstrate to you how it's built into us, this this response, this rebellion against authority, and how we need to be aware of that and humbly responding to it. So let me show you what I mean. The human race, when it was brand new, you and I, we have our father and mother— Adam and Eve, and they're doing great. Remember what God did for them? He gives them life. He puts them in the garden, which you can only imagine trumps any of the gardens that you, can, you, can, you could see today, the gardens of the castles of Europe, Longwood Gardens. We're talking about the Garden of Eden. It's not just beautiful. It's productive. It's delicious. It's life. And they're in that garden and they have their purpose in life is to fill the earth and to, and to expand that garden, to be God's representatives on earth and to worship Him and obey Him and enjoy Him. And remember when God made Eve and gave, gave her to Adam as his wife? Remember this? The man breaks out in praise when he sees her which is the way it ought to be, right? Genesis 2.23, then the man said, this, this at last, at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And he's exalting, he's just exalting in what God has done. Not only does he have life and purpose and provision and security and everything he needs and, and God himself, but he has, he has a helpmate, he has a wife and she has him. Everything is it's pretty swell in the garden. It's pretty great. Until the serpent comes with temptation. Adam and Eve going about the business that the Lord gave them. And the serpent comes up to Eve. Apparently she's somewhat isolated, although there's some indication Adam may be nearby. And, and, and this is what he says, he, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now there's a lot to be said about temptation in this text. Note that the devil makes it sound worse than it is. He implies that things are worse than they are. It's something for us to learn about temptation. Temptation is never going to come to you and say, hey, you're this is everything that you want right now is good and and you you've got what you really need and and satisfaction is in your godliness temptation doesn't do that temptation comes and says you're lacking you're missing something you you need more this isn't enough and it says more than that but note here that the devil makes it sound worse than it really is you can't eat of any of these trees that's ridiculous and eve corrects and says no no we can eat of the trees it's just the one tree And here's the point. God gives law here. He gives command. He says, you can eat of all this, but you can't eat of the one. That command, along with others, is codified authority. It's codified authority. It's God saying, I have the right to direct you. I have the right over you. Not, not just like a boss who, who may have rights over us in, our, in the workplace or during work hours. And, 
and, and not even like a parent who has, a, who has authority over a child for a certain amount of years kind of varies a little bit, but then they go on and become an adult. But God has full authority over us in every way. He's the embodiment of authority, and he has it completely. And he's saying, Adam and Eve, I have authority over you, and I've taken care of you, and this is the way I want it to be. And you shall not eat of this one tree. And it's the command, and it's codified, and it's clear. It is authority. And so what's going to happen? Genesis 3 This is actually uh, verses 4 to 5. Sorry about the heading there. Oh, wait a minute. There, I have my order. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And there, right there, is the temptation with authority. Look at what the devil is saying. He's certainly implying, but he's also implying it strongly. There's some, there's some implicit accusation against God here and against God's authority. Look what he's saying. He's saying, authority's bad. Authority's lying to you. It's trying to keep something from you. It's subversive. This is the first conspiracy theory. God said this is good for you, but guess what? It's really not. And this is not uncommon for humanity. Not only that, the devil's saying authority is cheapening your life, keeping all the good stuff to itself, diminishing your quality of existence. You'll be better off if you rebel. And not only that, but authority is diminishing your potential, holding you back as a creature, depriving the world of your greatness. Think if you get that promotion, how much good you could do for the company. The the only reason I want this promotion right now and I'm striving for it, I'm being a huge pain and I'm getting mad at everybody else and I have this huge conspiracy is because I know if I could get into that position, I'll serve this company so well. I just want to serve everybody else. This is the devil saying, God's keeping you back from your potential. You've got so much more. Oh, I see it in you. And he's also saying authority wants to make your life harder, less satisfying, doesn't want you to be happy, wants you to remain naive just because authority is selfish. That's the devil. Now, with the way authority is broken in our world, sadly, many of these things can be true, right? It can happen. But that's not how it is with God, who is the fullness and embodiment of authority, and from whom the Scriptures teach us, and we'll talk more about, all authority comes. We should be careful, shouldn't we? Because the devil used those arguments. And so we should be really careful. And Eve should have shut this down because those lies are not true of authority or of God as a principle. And Adam should have been over there with a branch beating the serpent for those lies. That's what would have been righteousness, taking the serpent out, killing it for its lies and rebellion against God. But what happens Instead, instead, Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So what happens? She becomes insolent, rebellious, arrogant, And so does Adam. They throw off authority, God's authority over them. Can you see that this is our problem too? When we sin. 
And this is why the human race has struggled with authority ever since. And you and I replicate this in our lives. This moment in the garden, you and I replicate it when we take sin that God says no to. That's what we're doing. We're saying this is better. It's more pleasurable. I like it more. It'll make me better as a person. It's knowledge that I want. God's trying to keep it away from me. I must have it. This is why sin is so serious against God. And notice something important here. There is some knowledge in rebellion. There is. And let's acknowledge it. Let's, let's identify it, recognize it. Adam and Eve, by taking the fruit, by disobedience, by rebellion, they gain some knowledge. Their eyes open to some things. They become aware of things they weren't aware of before. They become shrewd, but not in the way that God wanted for them. See, God was using His authority to protect them. It's kind of like drunkenness. Think about drunkenness for a moment. You don't have to ever be drunk in your entire life. You never have to be drunk. Do you know that? It's not a rule. You go to college, little secret, you don't have to get drunk. It's okay. You're part of a sports team, you don't have to get drunk. You you never have to in your entire life. But if you do, guess what? You'll learn some things about being drunk. You may learn what comes out of you when you're drunk. You may learn how to mitigate a hangover. You may learn some things. But the truth is, drunkenness is self-destructive, let alone rebellious to God. And so, have you learned something that satisfies, that gives you a life that's glorifying to Christ, that fulfills your purpose for existence, that honors the Maker? Have you learned something that will that will build you up and make you strong? Or have you simply learned knowledge that is kind of worthless at the end of the day and actually self-destructive? Of course not. Gaining the knowledge of drunkenness by your experience of it makes your life less satisfying, not more, and certainly less glorifying to Christ. And so this... Rebellion of Adam and Eve has been passed on to us. Now, one more note here, and this point is longer than the other two uh, for these reasons. It's kind of the beginning of it all. Since we then have an innate struggle with authority and written authority or law, this is what's in us. What Adam and Eve embraced, that's in us. And since we have that, Paul talks about how when he learned that the law said he shouldn't covet, guess what happens? He ends up coveting all over the place. It's just like the authority test with the baby. Don't you, don't you drop it. Don't you throw that cup. Drop. Just like that. What's going on? Well, here's how he sums it up. Romans 7. Wait, well, not really strong. There we go. It's in the wrong point. <laughs> my, my, my PowerPoint's all messed up today. It's me. It's not the projection. I put it in the wrong place. Romans 7, 10 to 11. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. And through it killed me. It's right before this that he says, you know, the law says don't covet. And what did I do? I ended up coveting all over the place. And and this is how the law works. What happens is the law is good and right. But when 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 we see it, when we get the law, here's what happens. The sin inside us. That is, is there by principle, the flesh that battles against the Spirit of God that we still wrestle with on a day-to-day basis. It's looking for an opportunity to destroy you, to 
put obstacles between you and God. It's looking for a way to keep you from knowing the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so when it hears that you're not supposed to do something in order to be righteous, you know what it does? It focuses on that and it seeks to get you to break that. It's like, so here's the law. Well, well, wait a minute, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I do that? I, don't I have freedom? Don't I, can I do what I want? Can I, I'm an adult. Don't I have freedom in Christ? Can I do that thing? And it begins. And that's what the flesh does. It, it, it seizes. That's what sin does. It seizes on that command. And this is why the law can't save us. It can't save us. So, wherever we're called to love or unity or righteousness or proper submission or proper exercise of authority, wherever that's going on, we're going to be tempted to go against those things. Sound judgment, sound doctrine, counsel, we're going to be tempted to go against those things. And this is why so many things that are right are called wrong in this world. Let us not be among them that do that. And this is why so many things that are wrong are called right in this world. Let us not be among those who do that. But let us be informed by Scripture. You and I can anticipate this. We can be aware of this dynamic that happens inside of us. That the, that the, that the sin... That is the principle of sin. It jumps out and it reaches out. Whatever we're called, in whatever area of righteousness we're called, and it reaches out and tries to seize on that and tell us we don't need to do it. Or it's God putting some chains on us, some heavy burden and yoke. And, and to, do, to do otherwise would be freedom and life and satisfying. Be aware of that dynamic. You know, God is more concerned about what's going on inside of us when it comes to authority than what anybody's doing to us, whether, whether we're under authority or whether we're in authority. God's way more concerned about what's going on inside of us and how we interpret all that. And don't worry, he's just, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna carry you through. You're going to see him bring you all the way through to righteousness and to peace but while you're in it, he cares more about what's going on in here. I think Americans in general have a, a more developed sense of independence. And there are more, many good qualities to that. I think generally when you have a sense of independence, you also have a sense of responsibility. Like, I've, I've got to get this done. It's on me to do it. And so we can, we can be good workers. We can produce a lot. But there are some negative sides to an, ind an independent sense, too, too strongly held. Because we're not independent. We're not independent of God. And we're not independent of one another. And so this is something we need to be on the lookout for. I think, in, in, in my observation, that Lancastrians tend to be even a little more independent, right? We, we tend to have a little more strength. One of the things I'm so proud of is all the entrepreneurs we have in our church. It amazes me. The, that percentage is different than anything I've experienced elsewhere. It, it's a remarkable and glorious thing. But I think Lancastrians can tend to feel like, you know, just leave me alone and, and I'll be fine. I'll be a good citizen. And I think there's some of that. So I'll give you a little more extreme example. So uh, you may not know this, but this building is, is, is located on an axis where it'd be perfect for solar energy. We thought maybe someday solar would, would be economical. We'd actually save money by going solar. And so we're, we'll see if that day comes or not. But nonetheless, this backside of the roof is this massive square footage you could put solar on and potentially generate a good amount of energy. So we were investigating this early on before the building and the design phase. Steve and I went uh, out to Paradise and met with uh, a solar representative. And we were talking it through, getting the prices and um, getting the, the, the stats, the figures that we needed to assess the whole idea. And um, 
And I forget what he was implying something about being kind of strangely independent from society. And, uh, you know, at that point, I wasn't picking up the whole thing. So I started to joke about, you know, Steve and I and the church being these sort of radical um, um, oh, separatists. So what do you call those folks that uh, live in isolation and you know, commune, build bunkers and whatnot, you know. And, uh, and, 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 and instead of getting a laugh, I got this serious interest in what I was talking about. <laughs> And I, and I had to backpedal. Like, well, no, no, no. They, they, we don't have, you know, we're, we're not really into that. We, we like being tied into the grid and all that jazz. And, and don't worry, there's no bunkers here at Crossway Church. We don't, no bunkers. Um, but it was, it was something I had never experienced before and, and to the point where it hadn't even entered my mind. Now, I, don't get me wrong, I don't think any of you are thinking that way. In fact, when I say solar, I think most of you are thinking, yeah, that'll never work. Aren't you? But, but I do think that can mark us. And if it marks us too strongly, I think we need to ask ourselves, how do I relate to authority? And to acknowledge the impulse in us to disregard. And so when the authorities say one thing and uh, and say, this is the law, and we say, ah, I don't need to follow that one. Ah, that's okay. We're going to talk about governmental authority and parental, even church authority and other authority. We're going to get there. But it's a question for our souls, isn't it? And I think we need to look seriously at that. Let us also acknowledge that abusing authority is now a way of life. Abusing authority is now a way of life. I think we established where it came from and that it's ongoing in us. But the truth of the matter is that the abuse of authority by those in authority is a massive issue in our world. As I already said in the introduction, you're seeing it in many ways right now. And so we acknowledge that. And and guess what? We're not going to escape it. Even well-intentioned and well-equipped authority is going to blow it. It's just the way it is. I remember uh, when I lived in North Jersey and I was on the ambulance corps, we were called to a house, and it wouldn't be uncommon to be called to a scene of domestic violence where there was some medical attention needed. And so we arrived at this home, and it was a little bit of a different scenario. It was a Korean family, and when we got there, the, the father was irate. And the mother was weeping, and the police were in, in the room. And um, the children were, little children, frightened out of their minds. And, um, and we arrive, and, and apparently he had uh, taken too much of, of some sort of drug. And, um, and he was becoming more and more irate the longer that the police were, were there. And we were supposed to try to provide some care for him. And they were trying to figure out what to do with him. Is this man going to the hospital or going to the, to the police station? And he was, getting, he was getting louder and a little more animated. And I'll never forget this big police officer. He became incredibly forceful and even violent. He took this man by the throat and shoved him on the couch and began to choke him and say things like, you are going to settle down right now. I went away from that moment uh, having my eyes opened. And I thought at the time, that case came to court, I would have to testify against that officer. There is abuse of authority by those in authority, by employers over employees and fathers over children, mothers over children, husbands over wives, elders over the church, by those mistreating foreigners, by leaders over those who are led, 
by those taking advantage of the helpless or poor, and by those who oppress others. There are all scriptures, multiple scriptures that speak to every one of these categories. It is not new. It's happening all the time that you see the abuse of authority. Now, generally, we are called, generally, we are called to submit. Let me just take one example from the scriptures, Jesus and the temple tax. And I love this story because it's, 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 um, if you understand the context, you realize how, how wrong what's happening is. How the Jewish people are being wronged at the core. They, they couldn't be wronged any more than they were being wronged. And what happens is the Jewish leaders put a tax on the Jewish people to have access to certain areas of the temple and certain aspects of worship. And looking to entrap Jesus, they come to one of his disciples, they come to Peter and they say, does your, t- does your master pay the temple tax? And don't forget, these are God's people. This temple was made for them. God had put his presence there. And here they have the audacity to tax it. And they come to Peter to try to ca- catch Jesus. Does he pay the tax? Yeah, yeah, he pays the tax. Peter returns to where Jesus is at. And Jesus knows, knowing everything, says to Peter, uh, let me ask you something. Should, do, do the kings of the earth take taxes from their sons or from others? And Peter answers very logically. He says, from others, of course. They don't take it from their own family. Be counterproductive. Can't get rich like that. Take it from others. And and, and Jesus is basically affirming that's right. It is wrong to take this tax. It's offensive to God that they would tax God's people to come into the temple. But then Jesus says this. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that, give it to them for me and for yourself. Here are people being wronged in an outrageous fashion. Jesus says, don't worry about it. Just pay the tax. Doesn't God own everything? Isn't he master of it all? Can he provide for your every need? So they want to extract money from you. Go ahead, give it to them. It's wrong, but do it. And I'll tell you, I'm going to show you, I'm going to demonstrate to you how little this means to me and how much I provide for my people at all times. You know what? Just randomly go to the ocean, or or rather the sea, go get a fish, open it up, there's your provision. And so generally, we submit to the authority over us, even when that authority is wrong. But sometimes we speak up, and we don't have time to get into all that right now. But obviously it takes wisdom and Scripture to help guide us. I recommend a lot of counsel in those instances. But there's not only the abuse of authority by those in authority There is the abuse of authority, or rather the abuse of those in authority by those under authority. Let me give you another picture of that police officer choking that Korean man in that apartment. The truth is, I'm not a police officer, and I don't know what they face. And the truth is, I know that there were an immense amount of domestic violence calls. And I know that that man was irate and he seemed to be escalating. And so, is it possible that he actually did the right thing by using his skills, by escalating so far above where this man was at? Because you know what happened after he did that? That man settled down. Somehow, even to his drugged mind, authority got through. And so maybe the police officer kept a bad situation from going really bad. And maybe they got out of there sooner 
by dealing with it that way so that they could be back on the street doing their job in other places. And maybe it was good for the children to see, look, daddy's using drugs and he shouldn't be. And when you thwart authority, this is how it goes. So, that's a tough one. I would leave that to a judge to decide. But I know this. I don't want to be too quick to just say, oh, that was just police brutality. There are things I do not know. And I appreciate that he wanted to keep the peace. And just so you know, he didn't hurt the man in any significant way. Certainly not in any permanent way. Could have thrown him on the floor. Could have really beat him. That was none of, none of that. Didn't seem like it was any of that. Seemed like he was trying to take control of the situation. Was it too forceful? I don't know. But we don't just need to look at this police officer. Or let me just add this. It certainly would have been reasonable to say, the police officer speaks to this man, he should settle down, right? And that wasn't happening. And so you had a standoff. But let's look at this. Moses. Moses. God's chosen servant. Leading God's people out of the land of slavery. Facing death at every turn. Standing in front of Pharaoh and calling him out. Could lose his head in a second. Trusting God to deliver a miracle after he speaks. God says, all right, go say this and then I'll do this. You know, if I were Moses, I'd think, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you do that, and then I'll speak? Nope. Moses leads them out. Moses faced rebellion. He faced constant complaining. God is not seen by human eyes. But Moses is. And so when they didn't have food, when they didn't have water, when they didn't have what they wanted... They complained to him. They threatened to kill him on more than one occasion. The very people that God had sent him to. At one point, Moses is is leading, as hard as that is, and he has this rebellion rise up. And the charge in the rebellion is, who made you to be the only voice of God? No, no. All of God's people hear his voice. Sounds very spiritual. Sounds very New Testament. Which, by the way, is, there's a lot of accuracy to that in the, new, in the New Covenant. So it sounds spiritual. And if you're not discerning, in that moment, people could say, well, that sounds really fair. I like that. Yeah, yeah, God speaks to me too. Why should you tell all of us what to do? And this, this person wanted to press a different system of government, which, by the way, probably would have meant death for Moses. Because that's what you do with an old, you know, ruler. You, you get rid of them. You start over. This is what Moses is facing continually in the wilderness. And so in Numbers eleven eleven, Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? He goes on in that passage, but to sum it up, Numbers eleven fifteen, If you tr- will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favor in your sight, that I might not see my wretchedness. I remember someone telling me how hard it was for them to be a colonel in the Air Force. How painful it was to have everything stop with them. How how continual it was. I think this is something we don't give enough thought to. You see, when, when you break the law, I don't think the police are like, yeah, we got something to do. I think they're like, let's go deal with this. Let's be careful. We don't know what we're facing. There are all kinds of things come into their mind. Using this as just a simple illustration. When children disobey parents, parents are like, oh, that's good. I was looking looking for a reason to to bring a lot of discipline, you know. 
I, I wanted something else added onto my plate so I could really, you know, lay this out. Think about your own lives. Where, where are you in authority? And where, and where the people under authority don't appreciate, don't respond, don't respond in a Christ-like way, it is work, it is worry, it is pain, and it all goes back to sin. I think we as Christians have a responsibility. The Lord's going to show us this through the Scriptures to be responsive to authority, to be properly submissive in whatever areas of authority that person has, to be open to their direction and guidance, to give them the benefit of the doubt, to treat them the way we'd like to be treated, and to recognize that we may not have the whole story and see it all clearly. That's a biblical principle. The third, we need to acknowledge that Jesus gives us the grace to embrace authority. Jesus gives us the grace to embrace authority. And let me give you an example of this. Or rather, excuse me, He's going to give us the grace to embrace authority in a lot of ways. I'm going to try to just quickly point out four ways. First, he gives us his example. And you know the story in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? So Jesus is not asking us to serve sacrificially in a way that he was unwilling to do himself. He provides the example for us. And so he goes to the Garden knowing his next step is the cross. And he gets there, and he's beside himself. He doesn't want to face what he's going to face. And so he prays, going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He doesn't like the situation. He doesn't like the consequence. Not, his own, not consequences for his own sin, but for others. He doesn't like the equation. He doesn't like the outcome. The only reason he's going at this point is because it's the Father's will. And Jesus, when he's in human flesh, submits to his Father and responds to his authority. There's your example. Jesus gave it to us to follow. He's, he's never going to ask you to submit in a harder scenario than he had. He's never going to ask you to sacrifice more than he has. He's not going to ask you to obey authority more than he has. He obeyed authority to the greatest degree, and he calls us to be responsive to authority. But not only is he an example to us, don't forget that he, he gives us forgiveness, right? Right? That's why he goes to the cross and he he dies on the cross. And so every time that we've been abused by authority and or, or we and, or we rebelled against authority, and every time we were in authority and we abused someone else, that sin is forgiven at the cross. And so whatever your track record in on either side of the equation or on both. There's grace for you. No one should be sitting here saying, I've, I've been so rebellious, I haven't responded to authority. You know, I, I just, I can't ever do it. No. There's mercy. And no one should be saying, boy, I haven't treated uh, the people I'm over well. Uh, I can't do it. Let me just give up. No. Everyone should recognize that we can be forgiven. We can be forgiven. He gives us grace to do so. There's more to be said about that. But so that we can close, let me just mention this. There's also sanctification with that grace. God calls us to grow in these areas. And so look at look what Jesus says in Matthew 11. I encourage you to let this sink into your hearts and, and let, it, let God have his way in your heart with this and, 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 and recognize his love and his care. 
Matthew eleven twenty nine to 30, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the deal. No one thinks of a, a yoke. You know, you know, a yoke puts two um, cattle together, oxen or, or, or other animals, and so that they can be more useful, more productive in plowing and farming. No one thinks of getting a yoke put on them as a good thing. But notice what Jesus is getting at. We're going to have a yoke. We don't just live to ourselves. We're not independent. We don't just have authority over our own lives. You can't escape God's authority, and you can't escape the authorities he's put into your life. You can't. You, there will be. You must. You have to be responsive to it. And what Jesus is saying here, you can choose the yoke of sin. You can choose the yoke of worldly thinking and that slavery. It will be heavy. It will be burdensome. It will destroy you. You will not have rest. Or you can take the yoke that has been custom fitted to you and for the reason for which your life has been made. And Jesus is saying to you, my authority, my yoke, not only is it lighter than that, it satisfies. Because when we're pulling in the fields of God's labor and our lives are given to Him, it's what we were made to do. And when we do what we're made to do, it's glorious. So Jesus says, take, my, take the authority that I, I, I have over you. Accept it. Receive it. You'll find rest there and satisfaction. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dear friends, there's always authority. The only question is, which will you yield to? For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.